Well, hello again, and welcome to The Painful Truth. This is Tony Payne speaking to you all the way from Poland, Ohio, in the United States. As promised, here I am on the road, sending back a postcard from the United States on my travels. And I'm sitting with Marty Sweeney, who's the director of Matthias Media here in the USA. Marty, hello. Hello. Good to, I was going to say good to be here, but I, I'm always <laughs> here. So I'm glad that you're here. Yeah. And Marty, the reason, one of the reasons I came over here to be with you was because you wanted to run a workshop with um, some pastors here in the US and the surrounding areas. And just on Wednesday, we, we did that workshop with about 70 or 80 pastors. And it was a lot of fun, I have to say, yeah. and a really exciting day talking about the implications of the trellis and the vine and some of those kind of issues. Um, but before we get into the meat of what we talked about at that workshop, which I think I'd really like to share with the Painful Truth listeners. Um, the trellis and the vine, it's been sort of around here for 15 years or so, I guess, in the US. It's kind of like, uh, it's been around for a while, but it's been an influential book, a surprisingly influential book from my point of view. How would you summarize the key thing that the trellis and vine kind of concept has contributed here? I mean, what's the key idea that's made a difference, do you think? Yeah, I would say that uh, it's interesting how you always say it was a surprise bestseller. Um, and so what I'm about to say is shouldn't be any surprise because <laughs> nothing's new, but it's about one of the things it's about people and not programs. You say that right off the bat in Trellis and Vine, and we kind of think, well, obviously, but it's so many people came up to us over the years at booze and conferences and just personally and saying, listen, I really started to focus on people instead of just running good structures or filling in our programs. And so that's probably the most revolutionary thing, that ministry is to people by other people. Um, and then, then layered with that, or on top of that, is it's not just relationships. It's actually word-centered people work. Um, and so it's the vine grows as the God's powerful word is unpacked. And I think for our kind of constituency here, they've been rightfully reared up in strong, expository, word-centered preaching. And we're thankful for brothers coming before us like John MacArthur and John Piper and the like. But what, what I think this has been helpful for is that the word has gone down into the congregation or out unlocked from the pew, as Colin Marshall likes to say. And so as people think about how to get the word dwelling amongst them richly, they think about people work in one-to-one -one Bible reading. They think about how to unlock the word powerfully within their small groups, and even how to unlock the word in just casual everyday conversations. And so it's not just Sunday morning good expository preaching, but it's day by day word dwelling richly amongst the people. So I would say those the really two things are actually one. It's word-focused or people-focused word-centered ministry. That's been the thing that's really been kind of the light bulb moment for so many people. Yeah, which you'd say in many ways, I mean, you know, when we say I think it's been a surprise bestseller, that seems such an obvious thing to say, that ministry is about the word as we back it in prayer, as we pray for the spirit to work, working in the hearts of people in all sorts of different ways through preaching, but in every aspect of ministry as it sort of reverberates right through the, through the congregation. Um, would you say then that in the US, in your experience, this is a simplistic question, okay, but would you say... If that's what we're talking about as the work of the vine, that is the work of the word that brings growth in people's lives by the spirit to make disciples, and a trellis is all the structures that we use to kind of facilitate and grow that and help it to happen. 
um, where's the big issue in the US? Is the big issue in Trellis or in Vine? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, I would actually say, I think <laughs> some of it depends on who I'm talking to, of course, but I would say that it's probably in the Vine. Um, it's it's what kind of word is fueling the Vine work. Um, and so maybe we'll probably get into this a little bit later, so I'm not sure how much to say at this point, but I'll say that is it a gospel-centered word or is it uh, kind of the mentoring opinion of a of one brother to another that here's how you should live life? And there's nothing wrong with the latter, but what I think the, the problem has been is are we fueling our people-centered conversations with the powerful, life-giving word of God around Jesus Christ, or are we just giving good life advice? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think as I've talked with churches a lot over the last 10 or 15 years here in the States, one of the common con comments also that's come back to me is that I think a lot of churches over here, maybe it's something about the American spirit or your history or your culture, you're quite good at figuring out how to do things. You seem, you don't seem to have a problem organizing good structures and designing good programs and running something that really works and, um, it's it's rare it's more rare here to come across a church that's just really kind of haphazard and in a mess it's often really well organized and so in a sense the trellises are well constructed um but what the trellises are supporting like the the, the sort of life-giving fundamental dna i don't know whatever metaphor you want to use the lifeblood of the whole thing which is the making of disciples through the word somehow seems to have withered or to have become to have lost focus uh, which is kind of what you're talking about, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And at the workshop on Wednesday, um, one of the reasons you really wanted to do it was you wanted to focus, as you were just saying, on the nature of the word proclamation, and in particular, that it be a gospel-focused word. Now, that kind of almost, again, feels like a statement of the absolute obvious. Of course, it's, of course it's a gospel-focused word, but why did you want to run a workshop that especially focused on gospel clarity? Well, I think it, the... the the germination, the germinating seed of it would be that when we do workshops, we talk a lot about evangelism of one of the four E's, which uh, you can read more about in the um, the Vine Project book, but that many churches don't have a lot of actual evangelism going on. And that was the start, to say, how can we fuel evangelism? But as we talked over the last few months, and as you put some really good thought into it, Tony, that um, actually it's not just we need to focus on the evangelism specific aspect of talking to non-Christians about the gospel, but actually how the gospel fuels all the work we do, whether we're talking to a very mature Christian uh, or a new Christian or a non-Christian. And so it's filled out to be that the gospel is the word that we speak to all people. Um, what Philip Jensen's taught me so well over the years is uh, the gospel that converts is the gospel that grows. And so we, we see these people in front of us and we think, we don't apply one word here and a different word there. We actually, it's the same word of the gospel applied all across the spectrum of wherever anybody's at. So in a sense, the gospel is kind of the heart. If, if the word and the proclamation of the word is the engine that keeps pushing people forward towards Christ and to conversion and then pushing them forward towards maturity, pushing them to the right, as we say in the diagram, the gospel is, is the heart and soul. It's the, it's the essential substance of that proclamation all the time. Yes, yes. I was going to say, but surely that would be a clear... I mean, who would not be clear about that or clear about the gospel? Well, that's it. So I don't want to get too polemical, but I will say, like, in the last 15 years, I'm grateful for, in American scene, 
the rise in filling out of biblical theology. We've seen lots of good teaching and books come out. But also the movement alongside of that is the gospel-centered movement, where everything, we have gospel-centered parenting, we have gospel-centered preaching, we have gospel-centered churches, we have gospel-centered pastoring, all in one sense real good. But now, like words that when I was in seminary, the, the mission creep, you know, everything became mission, or what's outreach, everything's outreach. Well, now it seems to me that everything's gospel-centered. <laughs> and so I wanted the opportunity to think deeply and actually refine and define what gospel centrality actually means. Cool. So we did talk about that on the day. That was the sort of meat of the day. We looked at the gospel. In fact, we went back and looked in the New Testament and, and did a little tour through all the little gospel summaries in the book of Acts, uh, in the gospels, in the epistles, uh, the nutshell statements that kind of point to you towards what is the essential summary or content or substance of the gospel announcement um, and it was interesting it led to a surprise in the room i think for many of the guys who were there what was the surprise the surprise is that the gospel is not only about the death of jesus i think that was the big aha moment as you led us through the the book of acts primarily but also through some of the other epistles that it was actually the announcements I don't want to, we're not minimizing the cross, but it's equally about the risen Lord Jesus as a much as about the, the, the death of our Lord Jesus. And so that, to me, that was the surprise in the room. Yeah, it was a really good conversation. I, I remember being struck as we talked about it and looked at all these different summaries, how often the word Christ and the concept of Christ came up, that it was a proclamation of the Christ and of the risen Christ. Uh, and if you just pause for a second and say, no, it's not just Jesus' surname, it's not his nickname, like a convenient other name we use for him instead of saying Jesus, that it's his title, it's the position that he's risen to as the risen Lord, that he's, as in the Old Testament expectation, the worldwide king, the ruler, the judge of all, the Psalm 2 figure who judges the nations, the, the beloved son who now rules over all, the 2 Samuel 7 son who will rule on the throne of david forever all that kind of stuff when you see that christ is a title of kingship and lordship and worldwide rule um, you see that the proclamation of jesus of the crucified and risen jesus is a proclamation of his kingship of the kingdom of god that has come to fulfillment because he is now king yes and it was interesting everyone agrees that jesus is king and everyone agrees that jesus is lord but to see that that's a primary, almost fundamental fundamental aspect of the announcement, the big gospel, that's what the word gospel means, yeah. that the lordship of Christ, who now offers forgiveness to all on the basis of the fact that he's died on the cross to atone for our sins, uh, that that's the announcement. Um, and it's, it, was, it was great in the room to grapple with that and realize that in many of our gospel presentations, we rightly talk about the grace of God on the cross and the mercy, that the forgiveness and the eternal life that comes as he forgives us and how we're justified through that cross. But somehow the proclamation often kind of stops there and there's almost no resurrection and there's certainly no proclamation of Christ as the king. And some of it I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating the sensitivity to when we really focus on um, Jesus as Lord, you kind of you could see yourself coming into some kind of workspace salvation that as long as I submit to him, I'll be okay. And so I appreciate some hesitancy, but I don't think that was the, the hesitancy. I don't think it was a matter of we're just trying to keep firm on 
the solas of the Reformation, grace alone, justification by grace alone. I think it was just a lack of um, observation in the act with the text in front of us when we see over and over and over again in the Book of Acts and beyond uh, that that was the central proclamation. And so we went to just filling out the information there. So it's not just Jesus is Lord; Jesus is the crucified, risen Lord. Um, or like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, I preach nothing among you except Christ, <laughs> Christ crucified. But it's not just Christ, it's not just Jesus crucified, but Christ it's, crucified. It's the king who is crucified. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Or as it says in, in Acts 2, when Peter gets to the big punchline of, his, of the first great gospel sermon, um, this is what I proclaim to you, okay? That this Jesus um, that you crucified, God has raised him to his right hand and let all Israel know that this Jesus, has, that God has made him both Lord and... Oh, I've messed this up, haven't I? That God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Um, and the response of which, of course, is when they're cut to the heart and they ask what must we do, it's to repent before this one uh, for the, and be baptised for the forgiveness of sins. Um, which is kind of what I want to go on and talk about now. Um, what difference does this make? Like, what difference does... Seeing if we see that the center of the gospel proclamation is a proclamation of the crucified king, if I can put it that way, who offers forgiveness, how does clarifying that in our heads that that's the substance of our proclamation, what difference does it make um, in disciple making? What difference does it make, for example, in evangelism or in if that gospel is what converts us and grows us? How does that grow people? Yeah, one thing, as I thought through that day and, and since then, the last few days, um, it helps me clarify, well, you've already said it, the message that we're speaking, preaching, presenting to people, but it's specifically not, if I say it just very uh, colloquially, hey, you need forgiving of your sins, Jesus will forgive you of your sins, and then you get to go to heaven, which uh, I don't think most people reduce it down to that, but there is that kind of feel that you've got a problem and Jesus will help you with your problem. Um, and but the the problem is is that I'm not submitting to the risen true Lord of the world, and so this helps me realize that my evangelism and discipleship has to include a and we hate to talk about it, but a submission <laughs> to this King. I have to submit to Him. I have to live His way, and and then it's, this really unfolds in all this wonderful, beautiful theology of the New Testament of. Jesus, not only as my substitute, but also as my representative. And if he's my representative, I've died with him, but I've also risen with him in 2 Corinthians 5 kind of language. So this has helped me, well, you said it, Tony, it's filling out a gospel message that is not just forgiveness of sins, but also following Jesus as my ruler. Because in many ways, the gospel, the announcement, is the speech of the risen son. It's, it's like... I have risen to all rule and authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I've died for the sins of sinful people. So turn back to me and put your faith and trust in me and live as citizens and subjects of my kingdom because your old life is darkness and death, and this new life is light and life and, and living like Jesus. So the, the contrast between old and new uh, the fact that the new is a whole new life with him as Lord and King and living his way, that comes out of that gospel of him as the king of that kingdom. Yeah. It's, it, it reminds me, of you already mentioned, of Psalm 2. You know, I can stay and rebel with the gathering kings of the world, and God just laughs 
and he knows he can dash him to pieces like a, a vase. But at the end of that psalm, I love it, you know, run to the king, kiss him, because his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are those who take refuge in him. Mm. And so it's, there's, there's two ways to live, really. It's I can stay with the kings, gathering in the world, shaking my fist at God, or I can run to this all-powerful appointed ruler that naturally I'd want to run away from. But the psalmist says it quite well. Run to him, kiss him. His wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are those who run to him and take my refuge in him. And so that's the gospel message is, is not just, hey, you can be forgiven for being stupid and rallying around the king with the kings of this world, but you also run to him and follow him and take refuge in him and let him lead you because he is a merciful and wonderful king. Yeah, that's really well put, Marty. Um, coming back to what kind of prompted the workshop then, not much evangelism going on in many churches and this is true in australia as well this is a struggle for many churches how do i get this happening how does understanding the word the proclamation of the word as, as being as centering around this gospel which is in many ways the story of the whole bible that's the, the substance of the bible's message how does that make a difference in this evangelistic area well the the example i use all the time is very pedestrian but it, it sticks in my head um, if I go to a local restaurant and I eat and I have a pretty good meal, I might tell someone about it. It's like, yeah, it was okay. If I go to another local restaurant and I have a fantastic meal, the first thing I do when I see my friends on Sunday morning at church or during the week at work is the first thing is I announce to them the great news that there's a fantastic restaurant in town and they have to go there. When I am enthused about by the momentous news that, that, that Jesus is the risen, ruling king of the world. I'm And also, as Paul says it, um, running, working out of a fear of him, a reverent, awe-struck fear of him, I can't help but spend my life speaking about him. I mean, I, I, my challenge to myself was always, I'll talk about anything with anybody that affects me. <laughs> good, a good food, a good golf course that I just played, but how can I not talk about the, the momentous news that affects every aspect of me? Uh, and so the, it's the challenge of this message is, do I believe this is good news for all to hear? Or do I believe this is a message for all to hear? And so it's very straightforward. I still have to push myself, but that's the kind of try to remind myself. This is what I do naturally with everything in life. Is this news worthy of doing what I do naturally with everything else? Sure. And the um, the nature of the news or that or the the announcement, the big announcement, is a kind of worldwide relevant to every yeah. single person announcement, right? So if you're going to a, a restaurant um, and it's a fantastic, um, uh, let's say Brazilian um, well, steakhouse, steakhouse, one of those fantastic meats that come out yeah. and swords, eight and pounds of meat, yeah, on the first course. <laughs> but the person you're talking to, you know, is a vegan or a vegetarian. It's just not going to be a relevant announcement yeah. to them. Um, but the thing about Jesus being the Lord of every person, um, and as it says in Acts 17, therefore God calling on all people everywhere, even you Athenians with all your religious stuff, to repent before this one who I've appointed judge of everybody. It's much like Matthew 28. All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. I'm the worldwide authority and king so go and make disciples of me it means that it's a it's a relevant that's what's what's why it's a relevant message for every single mm. person on the planet 
It's because he's the Lord of every person on the planet and the saviour of every person, offering forgiveness to every person on the same basis. Yep. Acts 17 is an interesting point. I remember John Stott wrote somewhere or said somewhere years ago that most people um, reject Christianity not because of its truth claims, but because of its triviality. Now, I don't know how true that is today, um, but there is still something there that's very, very apt, is that so many people I know might not quibble too much. There was a man risen again from the dead, although they may, but there's the triviality of it. Like, so what? Even if there was a man who rose from the dead, so what? Mm. As you mentioned, Acts 17 gives us the so what. Because God has raised a man from the dead, therefore, a new era has been ushered in, and now everyone has to repent because yeah. he is the judge of the world. Yeah. So it's this idea that this one event has changed the whole uh, epoch we are in. Now we're in a time when everyone has to repent because this one man has been raised from the dead. There's nothing trivial about the resurrection. And everyone can repent and everyone can turn to him because he offers forgiveness. He offers a way back. Uh, he offers free and total washing clean of all our rebellion um, through his death, this risen king. So the, the offer of forgiveness and of new life and of, and of a clean start comes from this one who sits at God's right hand. So in terms of evangelism, it kind of motivates evangelism from that point of view in that it really strongly frames that this is a message my friends and everyone needs to hear uh, because Jesus is Lord of all. And I guess you could also say it gives us the, the content of evangelism, right? It, it helps mm. us to see when we come to that moment in whenever it is of being able to explain the gospel to someone, whether personally or in a Bible study course or somewhere, this is what we have to make clear to them. Yeah. We have to make sure that this is the message. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not, the felt need is normally like, I see some obvious sin in your life or you have some problem. You're addicted to alcohol or some issue and then I can offer Jesus as a way out of that. And there's nothing in one sense wrong with that, but you're saying there's actually, we're coming in it from the other angle of saying, regardless of how you're living now, there is news that you're not living by. And so whether you're a good moral uh, non-Christian or a very immoral pagan, doesn't matter in one sense. This is the news you need to hear. It's, it's, there's nothing trivial about that. And the felt need in is not some issue related to you. The felt need is actually there's a man who's been raised from the dead who is Lord and judge of the world, and you must heed him. Yeah, it'd be a little bit like, um, the big news, say the big news is, the big announcement is Russia has invaded Ukraine. Let's say that's the gospel that's being proclaimed. And you want to think about uh, why you'd want to proclaim it to Ukrainians um, and tell them, tell someone in a distant village, hey, Russia has invaded our country. It's not like you'd want to start with a felt need in the person's life. Um, have you kind of, have you been suffering from a lack of excitement recently and you want something big to happen perhaps that's going to give you a sense of meaning well, I've got a great piece of news for you. Mm. Russia's just invaded our country. Like, it's something that has happened and that you can't avoid and that is going to have massive implications for you. In many ways, that's what a gospel is, isn't it? It's this massive big thing that's happened that you're broadcasting that has unavoidable implications for you and your future. Mm. Um, and in the, in the case of Jesus, the Christian gospel, it's, it's his lordship and saving death. Okay, so this inevitably got us talking about two ways to live. Um, and be, how, we, how could we not talk about two ways to live in this context? Why did, we talk, why did you want to talk about two ways to live? Well, I think as, as we, everything you just distilled down and summarized from our day, there's the natural, as a pastor, myself, and um, one in charge of kind of training people and trying to enthuse myself and others for evangelism, 
I want to think through and say, what what do we do? <laughs> kind of similar to the Acts 2. All right, what do we do with this information? Um, I just read a lot of passages from the book of Acts. Um, how do I summarize this m- momentous, monumental news to everyone in front of me and around me and at my workplace and in my neighborhood? Um, what do I say? And and that's really where Two Ways to Live comes into this. As, as you said, um, it's not just about two ways to live. Um, this is about say you have to have something to say to people. Um, and I think Two Ways to Live is fits very well because it emphasizes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus died, Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life, uh, or, hey, Jesus died for your sins. It is the whole kind of message of, the, of Jesus, why he came, what he did, and who he is, all in a very simple six-point outline. Sure. And it's interesting, as we, I remember saying at one point uh, in the workshop yesterday, because being a diffident, embarrassed Australian who doesn't like to self-promote, and, and my listeners won't believe this is possible, but this is in fact the case. Um, it's kind of um, saying two ways to live is, is what you need to use at this point. Um, just seems like a, a shameless self-promotion from an Australian point of view. But the, the simple reality is, is that there aren't really many alternatives. If you want to teach your people this gospel, give them a simple framework that they can understand and learn and internalise and wrap their minds and hearts around and really understand what the gospel is in the full sense that we've just been talking about, what resource are you going to use? I mean, what framework or tool are you going to use? Uh, And there really just isn't another one that does this same thing, that leads up to and kind of climaxes in the proclamation of Jesus as the risen Christ, who offers forgiveness on the basis of his atoning death. Um, And the response, therefore, that's called to from that is just not another one that I can think of and maybe people need to write some new ones that'd be great but at this point Two Ways to Live is unique and helpful because it communicates and summarizes that gospel I guess I'd say it's not the only way you could communicate and summarize that gospel of course you could use another framework or a different number of points or different language but it does and um, until we have another one I think it's the one to use Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of people who have quibbled with the ideas over the years with it. Um, But at the same time, it gives people something to, as you would say, uh, hang their hats on. Six hooks to say, if I'm talking with someone, do they understand that God created us and that our rebellion against him is not just breaking the rules he set out, but breaking the relationship and the order of creation that he put us under and that Jesus actually came to do the work that I was supposed to do and rule over the world and represent God well, but that I couldn't do because I was too selfish. And that, that picture of the background to the gospel revolutionized my life when I learned two ways to live 20 years ago. And I really, for the first time, even though I grew up in church, in a good church, I never understood sin until I went through two ways to live and said, ah, sin is not breaking the law. Foundationally, it's lawlessness. It's putting myself outside of the created order and said, I'm going to do things my own way. And so Two Ways to Live really does that well. But I don't think I appreciated how valuable the, the box number five was until just recently that you brought up in this, this podcast and, and just this week, the importance of the resurrection. And now I'm starting to see, yeah, Jesus is the risen Lord. And that is, I wouldn't careful to say this way, but is the pinnacle of the proclamation. 
Um, and as a good Protestant my whole life, I've always thought the cross was the, the pinnacle. And again, I'm not driving too much of a separation, yeah. but I've just thought, as, as usual, it was the cross, and oh, by the way, he rose again from the dead. Kind and, of a footnote. Yeah. yeah. And therefore, I can rise from the dead, which absolutely. But to your point, that's not the main thrust of it, at least in the not New Testament. Not in the New Testament. It's not, it's not what they constantly proclaim. And it's because the cross um, leads to the resurrection. I mean, resurrection presupposes someone who was dead. Yeah. Uh, and why? What? Why was that death? What was that death about? And now that that death and the one who died is vindicated and raised and exalted, what did his death achieve? Uh, he is put to death for our sins and raised for our justification. And we, we know that therefore we have peace with God because he lives. And um, even that wonderful par- uh, passage in Romans 5, it's really striking how it talks about he came and died for us while we were sinners and we were justified by his blood. Uh, it's something that's happened at the cross. But the argument of the passage is, if that's the case, how much more can we sh- be sure that we're going to be saved on that last day because he lives, uh, because of his life, because he is there as our mediator, as our advocate um, to save us and rescue us from the wrath to come, as Paul says later on. So um, this is excellent, Marty. Um, now, we've talked a lot about evangelism Further in the conversation, we also said that the gospel that converts is the gospel that transforms. And so uh, at the workshop on Wednesday, we also talked quite a bit how we just really want our people to know this gospel. Like surely one of the most basic things we want to teach every person in our church is to thoroughly grasp that this is the gospel that they've put their trust in and that completely changes their whole life, that brings them to a whole new existence of service to Christ and so on. Um, And so in what sense do you think Two Ways to Live is a tool for evangelism and in what sense is it a tool for, I don't know, the Christian life or catechism? Catechism, yeah. Yeah. What's the old saying? The first generation contends for something, the second generation assumes it, and the third generation loses it. And one of the kind of like another light bulb moment that happened at the workshop when we asked the question is, in what areas of your church life do you specifically instill the message of the specific message of the gospel to people? And out of the conversation around the tables I were at was, okay, I think we realize we're probably just assuming people know. And, <laughs> and that they pick it up. I, they'll I preach, pick it up. They preach it up. And I, I preach it and they pick it up from sermons over time. Yeah. I'll kind of absorb what the gospel is from how I preach it in the Bible. Yes. Which they do yeah. uh, and which is great. But if you then were to... Were to bail up some of those congregation members I know from experience and say, okay, can you summarize for me after having sat here for a couple of years under the teaching? Give me a summary. What is the gospel of yeah. Jesus Christ? And, and uh, not to be rude, because um, I see it's happened myself, but often when people answer that, it's, a, it's very much referential to me. Well, I, I was this way. Jesus came in my life and did this, and now I have hope. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful things. Praise God yes. for his transformative work. But I kind of hearken back to my love of Luther and how his emphasis on everything about the gospel and the word is external. <laughs> it's the external word, the external gospel coming outside coming to, to, me. Say, to yeah. me. And so I want to emphasize to people that it's really be really good for them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. In one sense, not referential to me. <laughs> say, what is this gospel? And because it's the same gospel for every person. My story would stories will be different about how the influence and the change aspect of the gospel does for people, but it's the same gospel for every purpose. And so 
growing up Presbyterian, um, I appreciate now that I was catechized with the uh, wonderful Westminster Shorter Catechism. I never quite made I flunked out in the longer catechism, but I made it through the shorter catechism, and I really appreciate having that because I was able to articulate in summary some of the key aspects of the faith. But I never was actually catechized in the gospel. Like, what would, how would you describe the gospel in a way that is biblically, biblically minded and able to communicate to someone else? And so I think that's the, the I think the beauty of two ways to live. In six short, uh, six short uh, summary points, six easy to remember uh, Bible passages, and six drawings, I now have a kind of a really good, robust summary of the whole gospel. Of the gospel catechism. And that's kind of, um, as we were running out towards the end of our workshop day, I remember getting to this point where I felt at my most embarrassed as an Australian who doesn't like promotion, saying essentially this whole day has been one long advertisement for this new resource, Learn the Gospel. Um, or that's kind of how it turned out, that the Learn the Gospel resource that's coming out soon, which is how to learn two ways to live, how to teach the framework of two ways to live to a Christian so that they know this framework. It's it's taken the evangelistic um, element of it out for the time being and, and postponed that for a second course a follow-up course but this particular one is just an intentional deliberate way that you can use in any small group it's sort of dead easy to run to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ really clearly so that it's at the center of their own hearts and lives as Christians which just seems an obvious thing to do to me I, it just seems like why would you not do that yeah we, years ago when we were trying to get this resource out and it didn't work but we had the name of it called square one yeah i remember that yeah. <laughs> it's because we said we need to take christians back to square one and there's a little bit of a in the classic matthias media way double entendre or the pun punny title that we want to get back to square one but we need to go back to square one with all, every christian can you articulate the gospel do you know the gospel is yeah. the gospel the beating heart of your own discipleship yeah, and we don't have to be cynical and say just because they don't know it, that means they're not a Christian. Yeah. Of course, we're not suggesting that. But it is really important, again, coming from a catechism background, uh, that, that we know and articulate what we believe. It's essential. I was talking to a friend afterwards who's giving me some good feedback about the workshop, and we were going back and forth, and, and one of the things he kept saying is, I'm not sure this really helps us motivate people to share the gospel. I said, but you have to start somewhere. <laughs> and if we assume that they know the gospel message um, and move on, we will never get anywhere. So let's get back to square one. Yeah, and ultimately the motivation to evangelism must come from deeply grasping the gospel itself. Like the more that it, it takes root in my heart and I understand and embrace and live the fact that Jesus is the, is the king, the crucified saving king of the world who offers forgiveness and life to all, the more that that animates me and kind of sinks into my whole person it's the good food at the great restaurant yeah, um, i've exactly. experienced it more um a more i yes i and I, the other thing i think too um watch having kids of a certain age and learning things my daughter's learning violin and what is the overflow of her joy of learning violin she wants to show me that she's learning violin mm -hmm. when we show people that the gospel can be learned articulated in a simple short framework I'm hoping and praying that there is some that kind of childlike enthusiasm, like, I want to go tell others. Look what I'm learning. Look what I'm, look what I'm able to articulate. I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I was never able to summarize it this well. Let me tell you. I know that might be a bit of a cockeyed optimist, <laughs> to quote Kramer, but um, that I'm hoping there is some of that, that I, I just, look what I'm learning. I can't wait to share, share it with others.
Well, Marty, uh, thank you for sharing your enthusiasm with us today and for inviting me here um, to Ohio, to the great state of Ohio. It was um, tremendous to meet with those pastors on Wednesday and to have this conversation, and I found it really invigorating and exciting to talk all this through again. Uh, and thanks um, for you for talking it through with us all again. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here. Well, that's it for my on-the-road postcard from the United States. It's um, It's been great to be over here. I'm here for a few more days yet. Uh, and look forward to posting something else if I can before I get back. But if not, I'll talk to you again when I'm back in Australia. Thanks for listening and being here in, on The Painful Truth. And as I always say, I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. <laughs>